0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. You can find me on Twitter at
1: Scott underscore Fontana. Feel free to shoot me a DM. And I'm Dan Urban. You can find me on Twitter as well at Dan Urban MMA. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Couchside Judges. If you would subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us, we would love that.
0: Also, feel free to leave us a five-star review on Apple if you're enjoying the show. We would certainly appreciate
1: that. And we talk about judging, so you should read the criteria, which is available at abcboxing.com.
0: Dan and I have a really great show planned for you guys today. We've got an excellent guest interview for you guys who knows his stuff about judging in just a moment. We're going to talk about Thursday's Bellator main event between Gegar Mousasi and Douglas Lima. And, of course, we're going to break down the fights from this coming weekend when the UFC returns to UFC Apex in Las Vegas with Anderson Silva against Uriah Hall in the headliner. Got a busy one for you. Hopefully it'll be a good one, right, Dan? Ah, uh, it's definitely a good one. Every show is a good one. I agree, but I'm a little biased. Well, Dan, let's jump right into it, right? We have an excellent guest today who we're excited to welcome. It is ESPN combat sports reporter Mark Ramundi who I've long considered an indispensable resource for topics like judging and regulatory news and features. In case you missed it, his outlet last week published a terrific article in which Mark spoke with judges, coaches, fighters, and more about some of the misconceptions in MMA scoring, uh, which longtime listeners of our show know is one of the many things we bring up routinely on the Couchside Judges. Uh, Like I've told you before, and I said on Twitter when I tweeted your story, Mark, excellent job
2: well thank you guys it was um i thought it was an important thing to write uh and an important time to write it and uh i mean it's it's never not an important time to write about judging i feel like it's it's a constant topic in mixed martial arts and it's a constant topic that that gets uh, you know perceived incorrectly and there's a lot of misconceptions about it so i was trying my best to kind of distill the information that i got from those those in the know in the industry into uh you know into a uh, i guess readable uh piece of work
0: (laughs) yeah no i i think you did a fantastic job with it that's you know like i said that's what we talk about on this show every week is is judging 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 you know dan and i um off the air we talk to judges we talk to regulators and people like that so we're really trying to get to the heart of that so something like this is you know you're you're championing our cause you know
2: yeah, I, and and I've been, and and I'm sure you guys know, you know, I've been writing about judging for a very long time. Um, you know, yeah. for at least for at least six years. You know, I've been writing about judging uh, pretty often, pretty frequently, and uh, you know, in six years, I I feel like there's still there's still a lot of work to do to get out the education to you know the fans and 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 there there are also new fans that are coming into the sport. Every day, uh, you know, especially now, you know, uh, being on ESPN, so it's uh, it's important, you know, it's 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 uh, it's not an easy thing to do judging a fight or scoring a fight, and there's a lot of misconceptions, like I said, because you know sometimes a fan will put it on and, you know, you think someone wins, but you know just based on your, you know, your perception of what's going on, and that may not necessarily be the case when it comes down to the scoring criteria. So that's why it's always good to have these discussions, and I talk to judges all the time as well, and you know I, I had the I had the Great, great luxury, and I'm, and I'm really thankful for it. I'm really grateful that Andy Foster from the California State Athletic Commission let me jump in on one of the judging calls that they do, training calls, and, they, and, and he let me ask questions directly to some of the more high-profile judges in the world you know that, that do some of the biggest fights, the title fights in the UFC. And these are, these are judges, as I'm sure you guys know, they don't go on the record. You know, they don't, they don't no. do a lot of interviews, if any at all. They're just—they're just not. They a they don't want to, and b commissions would rather than not speak. And uh, so I was really grateful to have that opportunity to do that because I think that it, the more transparency from regulation and regulators and and officials, the better. I, I think that it, that it only helps everyone if if that information is is passed along more freely. Yeah, most definitely.
1: Yeah. So clearly, this is a topic that interests you, right? You know, writing about it for six years.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a topic that interested to me because I mean, look, how do you win a fight, right? I mean, that's the most important thing in a fight is who wins and who loses, and so many when times, have them go to a decision. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If it goes to a decision, so many times I've seen multiple criticisms. You know, I, I've seen people say things are a robbery. This is controversial. So, uh, you know, from from the very beginning when I got into the sport uh, as as a journalist, which was about I guess eight years ago now. Geez. Uh, that, that was a topic that really interested me a lot was, you know, how do you, how do you score a fight? You know, how do you come to the winner and the loser, especially in a close fight? You know, what are you looking at? And, and, uh, that's even evolved over the last few years, you know, with the changing of the, the language and the scoring criteria. So it's, uh, again, it's, uh, it's, (laughs) I find it very interesting, you know, on, on a personal level, um, because it is so important. And I find it interesting because a lot of people get it wrong, you know, and I and I think it's my duty as a, a an obligation as a journalist to, you know, pass along that that information and education. Kindred spirit, my man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I mean, that's that's if, if I'm if if I'm not doing that, then who's going to? You know, if a journalist is not going to uh, to be able to bring that correct information to the the discourse, to the dialogue, then what am I doing? You know, what am I? What am I here for? You know, that that should be the number one duty of a journalist is to bring the truth and to bring, you know, an honest, credible dissection of what's going on in the sport to uh, to the masses. Now you talked about this a little bit.
0: You know, the fact that you were able to speak with some of these judges like like Sal D'Amato and Chris Lee, who were you know quoted in your article. Uh, what you know, you mentioned it before. The commissions kind of discourage this. They they don't really like officials doing this. But I mean. What do you
2: think of that notion? Doesn't that seem crazy? Uh, yeah, I mean yes and yes and no and and i and i do I do agree. I think that there should be more transparency. I, I've always said that I think that the commissions themselves should have more transparency, uh, transparency when it comes to everything you know when it comes to scoring, when it comes to the rules i mean there were there were you know years it it's not as bad as it was now, but there were a few years recently where you know the rules were different in different states, and it was very hard to to figure out for fighters, coaches, uh, even referees, you know, which, you know, which rules were in effect in which state, I think in general, commissions should be more transparent, they should be more open to speaking to the media. Um, and, and I think judges should also speak more to the media. I, I will say this, I, I understand. I understand that perspective. Because you don't want you don't want judges to be doing interviews and being asked about every single decision that they've ever done. You know, you don't want to sure. have that. You don't want you know, to you don't want a Derek Cleary or a Chris Lee to be grilled every time they have, you know, they score one round a certain way, uh, you know, and then people are on on their backs about, oh, well, you scored that round this way. You know, you scored that round for Justin Gaethje when a lot of people thought Habib won the first round uh, last weekend at UFC fifty four So that opens up Pandora's box a little bit. So I understand wanting to limit that media availability, but I do think that there should be more of it in general.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we like I said, we talk to judges uh, in private. You know, and one of the things that I notice about them, and you must get this too, uh, in in your in the course of your reporting, they're able to elocute so well exactly why a certain round should be scored in a certain way that mm-hmm. if you were if you were to let them have the permission to, and they were willing to get up in front of people and say, okay, this is why this round is scored that way. I find that a lot of people would probably be like, "All right, I get it."
2: I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. And and I speak to judges often, and I've had a conversation with you know a, a prominent judge in the last twenty four hours about this very topic. And 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 I asked him to explain a, a recent score to me, and and he did so very eloquently. And I came away thinking like, "Okay, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a very good point." You know, I could I could maybe maybe I didn't disagree in the moment, but I could absolutely see where he's coming from. And that's really how it is for, for most judges, especially at the highest levels of the UFC. Uh, the the judges that are doing those big fights are really good judges. They really are. They're they're they are the best of the best. And they they all they're, they're not just sitting there on their phones, you know, while the while the action is going <laughs> on. Like they they all have legitimate reasons why at the end of the round they score the round the way they do. They don't just watch the round and then flip a coin and say, oh, this you know the red corner won. They don't do that. They all, they all know why they all have good reasons and they all, and, and look, not, not, not every time they're going to get it right. I mean, that just, that just happens. I mean, no one, no one is perfect, but they sure. all have their reasons for doing it. They all have, um you know, for the most part, they can really explain very well why they scored around the way they did. And, and it would be good, I think in some respects to get that more out to the public, because the, like, like you guys said, the judges are good at explaining it and it may help, you know, it may, it may, it, it may be good to open up that dialogue a little bit more as to what scores and what does not.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> we completely agree here. So, but we do, want, we want to talk a little bit about the piece itself, uh, you know, specifically uh, for starters, you know, I liked one element that you brought up kind of midway through the article is, is the Angela Hill fight recently mm-hmm. against uh, michelle waterson where you know she she kind of wondered aloud post fight if she needed to you know go for more takedowns to earn those decisions that you know obviously she's been a billion split decisions lately or in the last few mm-hmm. years and they typically don't seem to go her way uh but i remembered reading at the time when she was saying you know oh maybe i need to go for more takedowns and just how flawed the thinking was she just kind of seems to be grasping at straws uh, unfortunately because you, you'd hate for them to you know, want to do something to help themselves and know in your heart that it's not exactly how it works. You talk to a lot of fighters. Do you get the sense that many of them misinterpret the way modern judging
2: works? They do. They do. And coaches as well. And and I can't even fault them for that because uh, for, for, <coughs> firstly, no one has ever for the most part. I mean, I, 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 I'm actually comfortable saying this across the board. No one from a commission or even the UFC has ever gone to the fighters and explained to them how judging actually works, what the scoring criteria is. No one has sat down with them. There's never been a seminar. There's never been a class. There's never been any training with judges or coaches in order to actually explain that. And the, ju- the, sc- the, 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 the judging and the criteria, as you guys know, has evolved over the last few years and, it ha- and, the, and the criteria has changed. And it is now being interpreted differently than it was you know, say five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. And there are some fighters and coaches who, you know, were around ten years ago and are still kind of applying what they knew of judging from then to to what judging is now. And that may not necessarily be the truth and that, and that may not be the case. Uh, so so I don't necessarily blame them because also what happens and and, and this is this came uh, this came up a lot when I was speaking to coaches and fighters for the story. They watch and they are involved in a lot of fights, whether they're fighting in the fight or they're in the corner for the fight, and they see a lot of decisions. so they they go by their firsthand experience. so if you' you know if you're a coach and you corner you know a fighter every UFC card for years and years and years, you have a pretty good idea at least you think of what judging is because you see it every day. you see what the decisions are. but sometimes when you sometimes uh, causation and, and and correlation are very different things, right? So sometimes yeah. you can see how it, how something is scored and you interpret it that it was scored for one reason. But really it was scored that way for a different reason. And and uh, I think that's what happens a lot. And again, if you don't have that, if you don't have like someone like John McCarthy sitting down and having a training seminar and, and, and explaining to you just exactly how it works. That it's a tiered system that, you know, you don't even care about cage control unless everything else is equal, which is very rare. You know, you don't care. They're not even looking at that. It doesn't even come into the into focus. But. A lot of a lot of coaches that I spoke to said control is still the most important thing in the round because yeah. in, in fights and in the rounds, because that's what they see every day. And they see if their fighter is controlling the action, they're going to win the round, even if their their fighter won the round for some other reason. That's what they see. And you can only go by what you see if no one has actually taught you the tier system. And, and also, sometimes they go by what they see, and it's a bad decision. Like, like, for instance, I think that's, that's what happened to the Angela Hill fight. I thought that Angela won that fight. So did John McCarthy, who I who I trust, you know, deeply when it comes to scoring fights. He thought Angela Hill won that fight. So she was extrapolating information from uh, what she, a fight that she should have won against Michelle Waterson, and she was extrapolating it as if the judges actually were looking at it differently and they thought Michelle Waterson won because she got more takedowns or she was more aggressive. And that really wasn't the case. It's it could be just a case of. One or, one or two of the judges just kind of blew, blew the call which happens
0: you know it's I believe it was a quote from John McCarthy in your story where he said perception is reality and that really is That's right. it really does seem to be the case you
2: know yeah and 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 again i I can't i I have a hard time criticizing fighters coaches for that because I mean they are literally doing it every day this is their sport and they're in it every day and they they experience their experiences and they and they learn from those experiences but even, sometimes the things they learn are not what is actually written in the criteria. And even the coaches I spoke to who knew the criteria and have spoken to judges and, and, and uh, regulators about the criteria, they still it's just it's just human nature to go with what you've experienced, to go with what you yeah. see. And, and these people are experts. You know, they're experts. That, you know, they know more way more about fighting than, you know, than we know, you know, as, as yeah. journalists, you know, they know a hell of a lot more than we do. So it's hard to tell them like, hey, well, actually, it's this way. Well, I mean, they've been coaching for, you know, 15 years and, you know, they've had UFC champions and they coach, you know, they're in the corner every freaking weekend. So what the hell do we know? You know what I mean? I know. (laughs) It's true. It's true. You know, we've spoken with fighters and,
0: you know, we, we certainly wish we could say certain things, but like, we also don't want to talk down to somebody who that's their job. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, this article, again, it was, it was framed around the idea uh, that the perception of how takedowns are scored could come into play in the Khabib versus Justin Gaethje fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we did have both striking and grappling in that first round. You know, the one that was actually scored, but you know, the fight of course didn't go to the distance. Uh, what did you think of that round? Actually, because you know, two people, Ben Cartledge and Sal D'Amato, had it scored for Gaethje, whereas uh, Derek Cleary had it for uh, Khabib. And this That's was right. a very, very big, uh, you know, uh, dissenting thing once the scorecard actually got out on uh, social media.
2: Yeah, it's funny because the premise of my story, like you said, was about if Gaethje Habib had gone to the judges, how would they score? Because both of them have very distinct styles and it's very hard to score a fight that has a lot of striking and a lot of grappling both in it. Uh, so that didn't actually come into play because it didn't go to the decision. However... It did come into play in the first round, and a lot of people were very surprised that Gaethje won the first round on the, on the scorecards of two judges. And it's, it's for the exact same reason that I wrote about it, which is kind of funny. So it didn't, it didn't really happen for the whole fight, but it happened in that one round, and people did not understand how two judges could have given it to Gaethje. Now I do. I understand how, how they could because he landed the harder shots all around I know Habib. You know when you when you when you ask someone who thinks that Habib won that round, who who doesn't, you know, a person that doesn't know the criteria, a fan who's watching, you know, they 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 flip on, you know, they, it's it's the big fight, you know, they're sure. going to watch, you know, Habib fight. It's like it's a casual fan. He you know they don't watch every card. Even the ones who do watch every card, you know, they put yeah, it on I and am. they see, you know, Habib is chasing this man around the octagon. You know, he's he's the aggressor. He's looking to finish you know, the fight, or at least it it appears that's what he's trying to do. And uh, that's what you, that's in your, that's in your head. But if you're a judge, you know, you're going by what the criteria is. And that's basically who's the most effective striker. Well, Gaethje landed some hard shots in that round. I mean, they're hard to remember because Habib was so dominant in the second round as well. And he got Gaethje down at the end of the first round, but he did land some really hard combinations. And those leg kicks were really adding up. He was crushing Habib with those leg kicks. Even on that last takedown in the second round, Habib's leg was buckling as Habib was going for the takedown on, on Gaethje's he leg. He was dip. in so, trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I and and I don't know, you know, I don't know what that means if the if the fight goes any any further, but if you look at just the pure damage in the first round, who had the, the who had more damage in the first round? I would argue that it's Justin Ageechi. Um now in real time, I did score that round for Habib because I and and but not because he was he was chasing Gaethje down, but because I thought that the end of the round where where Habib was going for that arm bar, I thought that was more effective and significant in you know working toward ending the fight than anything that Justin Gagey did. So I still scored it for Habib. Uh, but I could all, but I don't think it's crazy to say that Gaethje could have won that round because he did again, he did more quote unquote damage. You know, his strikes had more impact. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I actually gave it to Gaethje watching live.
1: Yeah I scored it for Habib the same way, uh, same reason why you did at the end. I thought the arm bar and the, the mount uh took it for him. I thought he was close enough in the striking where that came into play.
2: Yeah. And but I uh, you know, a lot a lot of people who, who were shocked. You know, I tweeted the scorecard on, on Saturday night after the fight, and people were, you know, uh, on Twitter were shocked that the judges gave VH the win. But, you know, these are these are people who are not watching it the way a judge is watching it. And that's okay. You know, fans don't have to watch it that way. Uh you know, fans I would argue should enjoy that they the shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Fans should, should just enjoy the fight. Um, but the thing is the thing is about a fight and just the nature of fighting is that if it goes to the decision someone you know so, someone wins and someone loses and sometimes it's not the person that you think is when you're losing because you're just sitting there as a fan watching it so you may perceive something or you may bring in some you may uh, bring in some biases of your own you may you may have bet on habib you know you may have bet on geishi or you may you know Probably a lot you, of people watching, did <laughs> yeah so you're you're watching you know max holloway and alexander volkanovsky in that fight and you bet on one of those guys and and, and you're, and you're, you're, you're bringing your prejudice in, into that fight. And, and, uh, that, that all plays into it, you know, or maybe, or maybe some, uh, one style you prefer over another. Um, so, I mean, and, and again, all that's fine, but the judges are looking at it in a different way. And, and the elite level of judges, like I said, for the most part, they have a handle on what is going on and they're able to explain to you pretty clearly why they did or why they did not, you know, send the round in that, in that direction.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just wish they'd stop using the term robbery so much, fans, when they watch <laughs> fights. Oh we hate God, I know
2: it's it's probably the most overused term in MMA. It's it's just uh, you know even the Volkanovski Holloway fight, even the Reyes Jones fight. I I don't think either one of those was was a robbery. They were they were close fights.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd say honestly on the topic of robbery, the only the only one that really comes to mind in like a title fight that I can think of is you go all the way back to Machida and Shogun.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I would even say uh, GSP and, and Johnny Hendricks as well. That's an uh, argument for it too. Sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. But did uh, did Habib and Gaethje go the way you expected? Uh,
2: I mean, I would say yes and no. I did think Habib would win. I didn't think that he would be able to finish Gaethje with that kind of flourish. I thought it would be a a little bit more of a grind than it was. Yeah, I didn't. I really didn't I think so that too. he would. I didn't. I really didn't think Habib would would get you know get into that position. And then aggressively go into a a submission because we haven't really seen that from him. You know, we we he he seems to prefer more of a ground and pound, uh, and and uh, you know control. He's all about control on the ground, and uh, and and I don't want to. I know control is a dirty word when it comes to judging. I, I don't mean <laughs> sure this in terms of judging. Well, that's that's I mean with he, judging. yeah. I mean I mean this in terms of of you know fight strategy. He's very good at keeping his position. When he's on the ground and, and he actually gave up position to go for that mounted triangle. I, that was, that, that blew me away. I was like, I was, I was shocked. And I think maybe Gaethje was shocked too.
1: Yeah. It's a yeah, fantastic I, sub. I totally didn't expect triangle. And the yeah. funny thing is, even though
0: we didn't expect it on our end, at least it was how he won his very first fight of his career.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even know that. I only, I only knew that, you know, after the fact when people were, were you know, tweeting about it. I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, that that blew me away when I saw that. I was like, man, what a what a perfect way to to bookend your career, right? Wild. So switching gears a little bit, you know, for those who don't know, uh, Mark used to work at the New York Post, which is where I was recently hired. So is that where you kind of cut your teeth uh, on covering MMA, like when you got started?
2: That is, that's exactly where I got started covering MMA. Uh, back in the New York Post, it was, uh, it was 2012, late 2012. And then, uh, I so basically what happened was there was very little MMA coverage at the time in the New York Post. Uh, and and uh, I was a big fan of it. And I have been a big fan of it since really the inception of the sport, like UFC, the early UFCs, like the Hoist Crazy, Ken Shamrock, Dan Severn Days. And uh, I I pitched my boss at the time, who uh, Justin Terranova, who is still the the uh, online sports editor at the New York Post. He's still he's still there. Hi, Justin. I don't oh, know if he's listening. <laughs> uh, he so I, I pitched him like, hey, uh, you think I can do maybe uh, like b- blogs were a big thing at that point. I, I don't even know if there still are blogs anymore, like in the in the traditional sense. But I was like, hey, well, can I start uh, an MMA blog? Because there were like blogs for baseball and football, you know, so on and so forth. So he he after some prodding, he he said, yeah, sure, why not? So I started just kind of doing aggregate stuff, like you know, news that came my way uh and then uh eventually the ufc noticed that the new york post was writing about mma pretty frequently and uh i i developed a relationship with dave schaller who was the head of pr at the time at the new york at, uh, at the ufc sure, and, I uh, yeah and um and he was and you know through that relationship and and through it being the new york post you know still a prominent uh newspaper um i was able to get you know interviews before you know before fights with some big names like anderson silva george st pierre and it kind of just went from there. And then about a year later, I was, I was actually able to, uh, to leave that position at the New York Post and I got a job at foxsports.com. And, uh, that was my first like, you know, full-time job only doing MMA. When I was at the Post, I wasn't even, I wasn't an MMA reporter. I was just an, uh, you know, a web producer. I was, uh, I think my title was like associate online sports editor at the, at the time. Um, okay. so I wasn't, so I was, you know, I was doing MMA in my spare time. I was, I was, you know, putting together the website and on, on the sports section and sometimes on the homepage, uh, as my full-time job. But, you know, in my spare time I was writing about MMA, you know, cause I, I loved it. Um, and that's how I kind of, that's how I kind of got my start.
0: I, I'm sure a lot of, uh, MMA reporters uh, at other outlets are, are very envious of the the fact that you were able to kind of make that leap, uh, in such a way, at such a prominent way. And I, and I think for, if there are anybody, uh, working in MMA media, listening to this, I think it'd be, uh, good to keep in mind just how important it is to be able to uh, you know connect yourself with bigger outlets if at all possible, you know even even if it's not what your primary job is if you work for another outlet, you know to get it out there, kind of push for it and and you know it can certainly work out, right?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and I, and I tell a lot of young journalists also like you don't have to start doing MMA tomorrow. you can do other sports. I mean you shouldn't just you shouldn't just consider yourself an MMA journalist. I, I was never never made journalist until eight years ago, and and I, I had 15 years as a, as a pro you know sports journalist. I, I was I was covering high school sports and college sports, and you know I was covering um you know I I was I was covering I was doing like sidebars for you know MLB you know Yankees Mets and then and then some NFL and and whatever was local at the time, I was doing all that stuff and uh, and then I was working as a as a web producer. You know I was I was I was literally you know in the office putting together the website and you know, I was taking calls from guys like George King, you know, who just retired, uh, you know, the the, the well-known. Uh, Riding off Yankee into the sunset, George. Yeah, yeah, George King, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was the guy taking the calls from him and he was dictating me like stories for the website, you know, before before games, you know, when he left the clubhouse, so that was me, that's what I was doing. So I always tell young journalists, you don't have to all of a sudden just jump into MMA right away. You may love it, but they're I mean, to, to me, there there's nothing harder than covering, than covering high schools and covering prep from, from prep sports. I mean, that's the hardest thing to do because you don't get any press releases. You know, you don't get any stats. You got to do it all yourself. You know, everything you do. There's no PR person. You got to go get that stuff yourself. And that, hey, that really taught me how to be a go-getter.
1: Yeah. So you you mentioned uh, that you were a fan in the early days uh, of UFC. Was there a specific moment or a specific fighter that made you say, hey, I, I really like this and I'm going to follow this?
2: Probably Ken Shamrock. Uh, I was, I was definitely a, a Ken Shamrock fan. I don't, I don't know who was just the one fighter. I, I remember my, my first, my introduction to, to UFC was, was that blockbuster video. Uh, you know, I oh, would, me uh, too. Yeah, blockbuster. <laughs> so I would, I would, uh, I was a big pro. I was a big pro wrestling fan. I was a big WWF yeah. fan as a kid. Uh, I'm still a big wrestling fan now as, as not a kid. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I remember, you know, uh, being a blockbuster, you know, hanging out with my, with my dad and, you know, we saw this new thing. It was like, it was like pro wrestling, but it was real. It was like a real fight they, or so they said, so we picked it up. I think it might've been like, I think it was UFC two. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I believe it was UFC two. It wasn't, it wasn't like uh. it, it was probably a couple of years after UFC two happened. Um, But it was on the shelf, you know, on, on, you know, to rent a blockbuster. So we rented it and we watched it and it was like, wow, this is insane. This is crazy. Like this is, I'm really into this, you know, this is, this is pretty damn cool And then we would watch the pay-per-views you know we we would we would we would find out i don't even know how the hell i found out at that point you know when the hell the next pay-per-view was because there was no internet at that time you know so uh i don't know what i did but i somehow i found out when the pay-per-view was going to be and 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 we you know we ordered it we watched it um i would record it i don't know where the heck those vhs tapes are now who knows but uh yeah i was i was all in like from the very very beginning i just thought it was it was pro wrestling but it was real you know it was it was it was violent it was raw um, But it also had kind of like the the spectacle of pro wrestling. So I, I really dug it.
0: It's funny you you mentioned Ken Shamrock kind of being one of the guys who really got you in, like in particular, because I think the first time I'd ever heard of UFC was while I was watching WWF with Ken Shamrock on the TV. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. And uh, it's funny because I, I, was, I was watching WWF at the time also, but I knew him from UFC. I already knew who he was. You know, because I was watching it very, very early on. I, I remember, I I vividly remember like hating Hoyce Gracie at the time because <laughs> he would just he would use he would use his damn gi to choke guys out and throw <laughs> guys on the ground. And he was so good, Dirty. you know. he was so freaking good at it. Like, and I, and I respected <laughs> it, but I also like hated it. I was like, oh man, like get you know get some separation. You know, get the get this guy you know standing up to get you know some striking or you know, to get a reversal, something like that. I vividly remember, like, ah, him and that damn gee man. <laughs> I feel like every fan at one point in their evolution,
0: unless they came from a grappling background, was sitting there like, why is this guy grappling? Why don't they hit each other?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then, you know, of <laughs> course, the more you, especially in that era, the more you realize, you know, that grappling is actually more effective and at least in that era, it was more effective. And and I I would argue that even today, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an MMA fight, if you're able to get a guy down and put him on his back, that's still the most effective thing you can do. It's literally the last fight we all watched. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it's still, grappling is still, is still king to me. I still think that, you know, that wrestlers, uh, you know, coming out of college or, or coming out of the Olympics, I still think that's the best base for for mma i I really do steering back uh i just want to actually
0: get back to the conversation to kind of your reporting too because there was one thing i didn't uh get to bring up before was the fact that i believe you're the one who broke the news back in february about kansas plan to do open scoring uh Mm -hmm. what they call real time scoring there you know we've seen you know a bunch of times now that they've put it on with invicta and lfa you speak with commissions you speak with officials what kind of reactions are you hearing outside of Kansas uh, about their system and whether we might see it utilized uh, more widely at all anytime soon?
2: I don't think we're going to see it being widely used. I really don't. Um, I I mean, it's it's mixed. Well, I I never say never. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that people said never about years ago and and they didn't turn out to be the truth. Uh, I mean, at the time it was the truth, but it didn't end up being, you know, correct because things change so rapidly in this sport. It's such a new sport. I mean, we're still kind of in the infant stages, you know, Twenty something years in, I mean, think about when you know what baseball was. Twenty years into baseball, it was like 1900. <laughs> you know, it was like Basketball, 1905. Football, all
0: this stuff, yeah. Yeah.
2: So I mean, think about what baseball was in 1905. That's kind of what MMA is now, uh, because it is still so new, and and it's going to evolve, and it's going to get, it, it's going to change. It has to. Uh, it's the only way. It's just the way. It's just the way that that sports uh, grow. So I I don't know what the future is. It's just. Uh, the one the one thing that really i guess uh i don't want to say stands in the way but the one thing that makes change in MMA really hard is that it's not just one rule book you know that the NFL writes or you know that you know the NBA has it's 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 different athletic commissions you guys know this i mean it's so yep. hard to change the rules of the sport when every single commission in the country in canada overseas all of them have to buy into whatever that rule change is, and they have to put it into effect. And sometimes there are commissions who even want to put a new rule into effect, but they can't, or it's difficult because it has to go through their state legislature and actually become state law, you know, an actual state regulation. So there's a lot of things until that changes, and I don't know if it ever will, until that changes, it's very hard to move the sport to a different plane as far as rules go. I'm I'm not saying that, It needs a ton of new rules, but something like a real time or an open scoring, you would need everyone to buy into that uh, across the board. And I I applaud Kansas for trying new stuff. You know, they were the first ones to do the early weigh in. And that's been that's been across the board. And that's been one of the few things that seemed to change very quickly um, because there really wasn't any like hard rule that said that the weigh in had to be at at this amount of time, except in certain states. Um, But I think for the most part, most states have changed that now. Although there's still I believe Western Australia the commission there still has it in the in the nighttime uh before the before the the day before the event. So it's not quite universal yet, but it's pretty much universal cuz the UFC got behind it and really pushed for it and it's been a great thing I think for the sport. So it would need to be something like that where the UFC really pushes hard for it and uh it's a little bit more malleable in terms of the you know state regulation.
0: Yeah, it's funny because you you know you're you're repeating things that I've heard, you know, from commissions and officials and, and and you know, any sort of people basically involved in that type of conversation in the sport. Uh, but as much as you're you're talking about you kind of need that one regulatory body probably to make things like that happen, the UFC really can move mountains if they decide to. So, you know, would could you see a scenario where the UFC looks at this? They see wow, we actually kind of like open scoring. And all the states kind of just start moving towards it because, hey, it's kind of what the UFC would like to say.
2: It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. I don't know if that would happen. But anything that the UFC really gets strongly behind, you know, they do have the resources and they have the ability to lobby for that, for those changes. It becomes a little bit more feasible than if it's that you're doing something that the UFC is not behind or the, you know, the UFC is kind of indifferent to. So, I mean, the UFC, the UFC is still the elephant in the room. I mean, they're, they're the big player in, in the game. and. They're the primary stakeholder, especially in in North America, where you know where the ABC is, where the commissions are. So if they they can throw their weight around, they can get things changed easier than anything else would. But uh, there still are problems. You know, the, look, the UFC didn't want the uh, the rules to be to be splintered the way they were a few years ago with the grounded fighter. The UFC did not want that. They wanted uniform sure. rules, whatever they were. They wanted uniform r- rules. You know, Mark Ratner said at at an ABC conference uh that it was like uh you know i don't want to misquote him but he basically said it was a very bad thing for the sport and i completely agree so the ufc yeah. was trying to get things you know uh more uh consistent and unified and and that took a little bit even to get to get there so they can't they can't uh do everything
0: of course of course now last question for you mark uh, and this is a legitimate question
2: ah yes my favorite w-
0: where did this, it's a legitimate question, kind of running joke that you're at the center from, uh, you know, kind of, where did it begin? I don't even remember the backstory.
2: Oh, oh, wow. So it wasn't that long ago. It was, it was the, the last event in front of fans in Las Vegas before the pandemic. It was UFC 248. The day before, before the weigh-ins for UFC 248, there was a press conference with Habib and Tony Ferguson who, were, Remember, they were supposed to fight each other at UC yeah, 249. Like 10, times. It, well, yeah, there's the fight in April in Brooklyn in the main event of UC 249. So there was a press conference, and uh, but with those guys and Dana White, and I asked a question. I asked several questions. I asked a couple questions of Habib, uh, I asked Tony a question, and then I asked Dana White a, co- a couple questions, and I ended with this question I asked Dana White. The uh, South by Southwest, the music and arts festival, uh, the very popular one that draws, I think, over 100,000, you know, people every year in Austin, Texas, was canceled that afternoon due to the coronavirus, due to concerns over the coronavirus. So I asked Dana White, "Do you guys have any, you know, your the UFC is a promotion that puts on big events. Are there any concerns? Do you think this could affect the UFC and the fans who were there for the press conference and the weigh-ins?" Showered me with booze. <laughs> I mean, they booed me out of the building. It's Par for the course, not, man. Not, not, not literally out of the building, but they booed. They booed me uh, <laughs> lustily. They booed me. Um, so as so, while they were booing, I said into the microphone, "That's a legitimate question. That's a legitimate question, <laughs> and it was. It was a hundred percent a legitimate question. So, uh, so yeah." And you've so been I vindicated think, like, since then. I mean so much so and i and i'll and i'll leave you guys with this so that happened i got booed dana white criticized me in interviews after that and then of course that was the last event in front of fans since then and we're, you know, we're talking in october now <laughs> and and it came full circle before habib versus gaethje at ufc 254 the countdown special the countdown special the preview show for habib gaethje featured a reporter who you guys are talking to right now asking Dana White the question about coronavirus from that press conference back in March? So I actually made the countdown show full of vindication, full of vindication. There you go. There you go. That's, that's a win for journalism, my friend. That's right. And it had to be asked because a lot of people knew what was coming. And and that's it. It was it. Was, look, it was it was not only a legitimate question. It was the question to ask during that press conference. Absolutely. Because it was the elephant in the room at that point. And a lot of people did not want to did not want to recognize it or didn't, you know, they wanted to put it out of their minds because they wanted to see Habib versus Ferguson so bad. So look, so did I. I wanted to see that fight too. I was excited for that fight. But at that point New York was starting to get hit bad with 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 COVID and the fight was gonna be in Brooklyn. And I knew and I knew at that point there's no way that fight maybe that fight would happen. But that fight's not happening in New York. There's no chance. No, and the next day New York declared a state of emergency uh so there you have it that that's how that's how legitimate question got
0: uh was born <laughs> I love it I love it i'm I'm definitely going to remind i see i remember you asking it but I couldn't remember the circumstances but obviously everybody you know talks about putting it on a t-shirt now and all these things so when it, whenever you get t-shirts printed up you know let me know i will let you guys know for sure I promise. <laughs> all right mark well thank you very much for taking the time and, and you know everybody at home you can make sure to follow mark on twitter at what's your handle
2: uh m-a-r-c underscore r-a-i-m-o-n-d-i
0: that's right anything else you want to want to tap before you
2: get it going or that's it espn.com slash mma for all of your wonderful ufc coverage and beyond Right on. Mark, thank you very much. Uh, We appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark.
2: Mm, Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. That was fun. Dan, I really
0: enjoyed having Mark on the show. He's, you know, I've known him for a little while. He's a really, really excellent source of information who I really do rely on all the time. So I'm glad
1: we were able to get some time and speak with him. It was fun talking to someone about this subject of the sport that wasn't an official. I, I think... I think what you might mean is, or at least what I interpret that as, is
0: that I think it's cool to talk with someone who, like us, doesn't have any skin in the game, but is also really passionate about making things better in the sport.
1: Exactly. Like, we wasn't a judge, wasn't a ref, just someone who enjoys fighting and wants to make it better.
0: And I think he does a great job of it. You know, I, he's he continues to put out these features and do interviews and dig up information and and it's it's just so useful stuff um and he does ask legitimate questions too that's what i really
1: like he does and i actually went back (laughs) after this and and looked at the ufc countdown video to see him to see how that went down yeah so i think it really did come full circle
0: (laughs) it most definitely did well enough about that you know we definitely want to talk about the fights this weekend but before we do At least one of us wanted to talk about the
1: terrible, only one of us,
0: terrible main event at Bellator 250 on Thursday night between Gagar Musasi and Douglas Lima in their vacant middleweight title clash, which went to Musasi in a fight that pretty much disappointed everybody who was looking forward to it. You, on the
1: other hand, were not disappointed. I was definitely disappointed because I had I, I watched <laughs> but it. But only because
0: you didn't want to watch it to begin I with. I didn't
1: want to watch it to begin with. I had no interest in it, and uh, I think uh, I was right that I shouldn't have had any interest in it.
0: You being the minority there, I think among people who were aware of the fight at least, you ended up being right because this fight was terrible. Um, I'd and... rather
1: watch Caleb Starn's fight.
0: <laughs> hey, he's running. He doesn't fight. He, he's a runner. Uh, <laughs> but this fight, yeah, it, the other reason we're really bringing it up is because of the fact that Almost every single round was a split round among the judges. There was only a majority, uh, excuse me, only unanimity uh, in the five rounds. The first round, all three judges, uh, Dave Torelli, Jaron Vallel, and Douglas Crosby gave that to Gagar Mousasi. And that actually was a round that I thought should have
1: been a 10-8. I, would, I, I thought it was, I went strong 10-9, but I see a case for a 10-8. And that yeah, absolutely.
0: Was, that, that was a borderline case. Honestly,
1: I, would I wouldn't be mad if Mousasi did that for the next four rounds.
0: Yeah, and That was the he best part of the fight. Just wasn't able to fight. get the takedowns anymore at least until later in the fight. They didn't even try. But, yeah, all those other well, I mean he tried. I think he was
1: seeking it in the in the second round, it just didn't come to fruition. I I I I'll probably never want to watch either of these guys fight again. And I know Musashi's <laughs> a legend, uh, but I got no interest in either of them.
0: Yeah, this fight it was terrible. It was a terrible fight. It just was, it was not a fun fight. Uh, I thought the first round at least was kind of interesting if it was something that, you know, we, if we saw the narrative where Musasi continued to do that over five rounds, it might not have been that much fun to watch, but it also would have been like, wow, a lot of watching this kind of performance, you know,
1: I would have been a lot more happier with, with that.
0: I think so too. And, and again, the last four rounds, everything was split. Me personally, I gave, uh, rounds three, four and five to Lima. I thought Rounds three, four, and five were also very close, too. So, I mean, in theory, it could have been a 50-45 for Musasi. It ended up being two 49-46s and a 48-47. Uh, you, I think you had Musasi sweep, right?
1: No, I gave Musasi round five. I mean, I'm sorry, I gave Lima round five. Oh, okay. And I saw and I saw an right, yeah, so. uh, argument for Musasi round two, uh, for Lima round two, and I saw a uh, round three possible argument there. When he started using leg kicks is when he actually had his best offense. Uh, I just didn't see it being enough.
0: No, it was, I mean, it's a tough one. I have no problem with the scores because of how close the last four rounds were, really. You know, I thought three were very, three, four, five were very close, but even two was close enough. I understand why the scores we got are what we got. But at the same time, terrible fight. Uh, Fighters weren't able to give the judges that much to work with. They both deserve a loss. this... (laughs) (laughs) this coming right on the heels of a fight, which I didn't watch beforehand, uh, where there was actually a split decision with all 30 27s. you hate to see that. So once I knew that that was happening, I think I, we all probably had a bad uh, feeling in our guts about this fight if it went the distance, and sure enough.
1: Yeah, opposite 30 is always uh, something. I didn't watch the fight either, but... I, I didn't plan to. Um, I'm sure it was more entertaining than this one, but uh, you know, I, I don't feel bad for missing it. Yeah, me neither.
0: But again, enough said, let's let's move on. We've got more fights to talk about this coming weekend. Of course, we've got, like we mentioned earlier, Anderson Silva in potentially a retirement or last fight in the UFC. There's kind of a lot of, you know, noise back and forth about that kind of thing uh, against Uri Hall in a middleweight contest uh, headlining UFC Apex 12, right?
1: Yeah, I I don't believe this is going to be his retirement fight. I don't think he's going to walk away willingly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, th- he's going to be 50 and fighting somewhere. Maybe not in the UFC, but he'll be fighting somewhere. Yeah, that's the
0: thing. The The key thing that I keep reading uh, whenever anyone quotes Anderson uh, in the media this week is that he is probably – this is probably his last fight in the UFC, but that he does not intend to stop fighting. So, I mean, that could be a bunch of things. Maybe – Maybe he's just looking for more of an angle to, to get a different contract with the UFC. Maybe he's going to actually fight out his contract. And because my understanding is he's got one more fight after this one. I saw speculation that it could be Anderson finally getting his boxing match that he's long clamored for against Roy Jones Jr. Maybe that'd be a Zufa boxing thing.
1: So uh, who is, knows? There's a billion ways this could go. So are you saying Mike Tyson is the warm up for Roy Jones Jr. To fight Anderson Silva? correct
0: okay that is that is what that would mean yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> all right look i don't see it happening i don't see any of these things happening but you know it's there is reason to not write it off entirely <laughs> all right it, We ours is a crazy sport man
1: definitely but this fight this weekend anderson versus uriah hall is a fight that we've kind of been waiting for for a long time since Uriah Hall came on the scene because he's but he was marketed as the next Anderson Silva kind of especially when he was yeah. on tough and in
0: some ways yeah yeah I guess they I like, mean that
1: they, was overblown but yeah yeah they kind of did <laughs> so I, I mean I think it's a little too late right now but a lot of things are too late that involve Anderson <laughs> right now <laughs> but I think it still be, should be a fun matchup I can't, I can't take credit for this one either
0: Uh, I forget who I read it from on social media, but it made a lot of sense to me is ever since Anderson Silva broke his leg, he's basically just been performing in the cage. Everything has been about performing and and just kind of being Anderson Silva. You know, could that also entail just he's trying to collect paychecks? I don't know, maybe. Um, But that it seems like he's less interested in winning than he is in just getting in there and enjoying himself and, and again i can't take credit for that one but that one resonated with me
1: so just entertaining yeah yeah and and in that sense
0: it makes it a lot easier for me to just say you know what i'm gonna have fun with this fight too uh even though i again he's 45 years old and well past his prime uh, as i said earlier in the week if he had not fought after khabib made his ufc debut eight years ago anderson's record would have looked really good because he's three three and six with a no contest since then <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that no contest uh, needed steroids to beat a stoned Nick Diaz. I mean, Do you think he was using steroids before that, Dan? I don't know. I think a lot of people were using steroids. I think most of
0: them were, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, is that fair to paint with that brush? Maybe not, but I'm going to. I think most of them probably were in, in some form. So Some of them would get caught. Some of them wouldn't. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know much that really tarnishes his legacy overall. I mean, he got t- caught twice. That's dumb. But yeah, you got to be better than that. Yeah. If you're going <laughs> to cheat, do cheat it well. right. <laughs> <laughs> but what what about this fight? What's your pick here?
1: I'm going Hall. I don't think he stops yeah, yeah. him, but I think he, it's going to be a decision victory.
0: I think it'll be a decision, too. I think we'll go five rounds. We'll have a fun
1: fight. And uh, and that'll be it. Yeah, it, it's just going to be a fun fight. It is five rounds, right? It's not a three round made of I'm almost like positive that. it's five rounds. I didn't see anything about it being a three round.
0: I hadn't seen anyone complaining about only three rounds. So yeah, that would be my assumption as well. Uh, judges here. I, I don't know who necessarily we're getting, but we are back in Vegas. So stands to reason that we would see people like Sal D'Amato, Chris Lee, Derek Cleary, uh, Junichiro Camijo, Tony Weeks, you know, the guys, Ron McCarthy, people who we've seen out at UFC apex during this summer, this whole pandemic season uh those are the names i'm expecting Uh, eric cologne maybe you know any of these guys
1: yeah i'm I'm expecting the the normal vegas crew
0: yep and and that's a good thing you know they've been they've been sharp it's easy to trust them at least for me oh yeah for sure what about uh other fights you're looking forward to on this one
1: i'm looking forward to bryce mitchell thug nasty getting back in there against andre feely co-main event yeah definitely a step up in the competition kids undefeated ranked 15 uh, he's probably looking to cement himself in, you know, maybe the top ten, top twelve after this uh, fight. I think this fight favors Mitchell too. I agree. It, he,
0: I just think I think the stylistic matchup leans his way. And and Feely's good. I mean, Feely's got a lot of tools, but I do think Mitchell's going to be just ahead on the ground, and I think he'll be able to get it there enough.
1: Yeah, I think he'll be on the ground. He's always hunting subs. So if you're looking for a fighter that's fun to watch on the ground. Uh, other than Khabib, it would be Bryce Mitchell.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, supposedly we're not going to see Khabib again, you know. Yeah, so but...
1: this is the next thing you got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> now there's plenty of guys out there, but he is definitely a good one.
1: Uh, what fight are you looking forward to? You know, I don't know
0: if it, maybe it's just me, but, like, top to bottom, this card isn't my favorite. Really? I have totally different opinion. I know, I know. You were saying it, it, there were a lot of fights that you, you were looking forward to. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not it's not a bad card, and these ones always end up pleasantly surprising me, anyway. So I'm I'm very I'm very much prepared to be um, again pleasantly surprised. But my pick as far as m- the fight I am most excited for: Bobby Green against Tiago Moises, because Bobby Green is really he's just one of the most fantastic comeback stories this year. That's not getting a lot of attention. You know, he <laughs> from 2014 to 2019. He won one fight. He's won three fights since the summer started. Man's on year. a
1: roll. He can't be stopped. And he's doing it in fun fashion. Even though it's going to the decision, it's still fun fights.
0: Oh, yeah. They're fun decisions. And not only that, but they're like, they're very clear decisions. He's lost some decisions here and there. Some of them that were kind of close. But right now, he is leaving all doubt out of it. And I think he's probably going to do just the same here against Moises. I don't know if he's going to finish Moises. Who... Granted, Moises is coming off of a very impressive submission victory over Michael Johnson because he got, you know, arguably, I think it was a split 10, eight, 10, nine, 10, eight in the first round. before he got the round two sub.
1: Yeah. uh, It was a very impressive sub, but that was a very unimpressive first round for him. Oh, it was a terrible first round. And that honestly, I lean more to that as the reason why he's going to
0: have problems against Bobby green. Bobby green is, has better takedown defense. Than Michael Johnson, I think he's going to be able to stay upright long enough to to mm-hmm. work his boxing. Well, and he he likes to keep those hands down too. And I think that's going to probably make it even a little easier for him to defend the takedowns.
1: Well, you know what? It wasn't a takedown that took Michael Johnson down. He pulled guard straight into a oh, right. leg lock yes, position and, and got that's the sub right. from there. So that may be a little bit interesting because the leg lock game is starting to, you know, shell its head a little bit more. In MMA, I think
0: Bobby Green's gonna be hip to that, though.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I I think Green He's by too decision. Much of a bet. Yeah, Green by decision. Yeah, me too. Same way, and I think it'll be fun. And that sound means we're finished for this episode of the Couchside Judges. Once again, thanks to Mark Ramundi for joining us. See everyone on Monday when we break down Saturday's UFC action. Happy Halloween, everybody. Whoa.